Grace to you and peace from God our Father and our Lord, Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, the one has been elected. Not to mix politics and religion, I hear that gives indigestion. But do you remember the McCain ads on Obama? I know we're trying to forget all of this, but part of the strategy was to lampoon all of the rock star hype around this new, young, brilliant politician. He was mocked as the one, our Messiah, the one we've been waiting for to come and save us, to solve all of our problems, to address all of our woes. If only they would have known that he would have appointed as his chief of staff a guy named Emmanuel. Such is the way of campaigning. But remember, the move backfired entirely. And there are probably lots of reasons why it is so, but surely one of them was that the ads didn't just make fun of the now president-elect Obama, and it did not just mock the media. It was also inadvertently really mocking the voters. The genuine angst and longing of all of the people. People were really looking for someone waiting for someone to save them. One could see and hear this throughout the campaign season, but as the election neared its end, the pining for what we can only say is redemption grew even stronger. And it's no wonder, trapped in a long war with no clear way out, pressed down by fear in the midst of an even longer struggle against unknown enemies, the gut-wrenching feeling of an economy with a floor that has just bottomed out beneath us. People look frantically about for an outstretched hand to reach out and rescue them. Someone who's going to pull us out from the grasp of our enemies. Someone who's going to return our children to us alive rather than in boxes, restore to us a sense of confidence and purpose and hope. And so it made sense that there was yearning for someone to come and save us. It made sense that the election of a new president was a new leader would be filled with such advent expectation. But the promises of politicians notoriously fall short of the hope and longing they elicit. Well, we shouldn't be surprised. Our president is, after all, one of us. In fact, this is true of all of our leaders and heroes and lords throughout history. They have all been one of our number. We either elect them or they rise up from in our midst and grab the reins for themselves, but ultimately they do not stand above the fray of human existence. All of these people are still subject to the necessities and limitations of human reality. From mother's milk, the common cold, gravity, to pain and sorrow, and death. They are, like us, subject to all that we endure as human beings. 
And so looking to our leaders and lords for deliverance is a bit like trying to lift ourselves up out of the mire by our collective bootstraps. Especially if we're stuck in a mire that is as deep as something like our immorality or as inescapable as our mortality. This morning we have the creed, and it calls Jesus our Lord. He too is one of us, from mother's milk, common cold, gravity, to pain and sorrow and death. Like us, he's subject to all that we endure as human beings. But what is remarkable is that this one that we call our Lord, this Jesus, son of Mary, is also true God, begotten of his Father from all eternity. And this changes everything. This is a different kind of Lord. Too often my mind races past these words without stopping to consider how absolutely incredible this statement truly is. God is this man. And this man is God. And he is our Lord. Richard Crashaw begins to capture this in his hymn of the Nativity. Welcome all wonders in one sight, eternity shut in a span, summer in winter and day in night, heaven in earth and God in man. Great little one whose all-embracing birth lifts earth to heaven, stoops heaven to earth. But this statement in our creed is not just about the joining of the Godhead to human flesh. This Jesus is my Lord. He is your Lord. He is our Lord. And that is more than just confessing his deity, that Jesus is God. It is to confess with joy that he is our God. That in Jesus, we know the heart of God. That God is for us. Outside of Jesus, God is distant and incomprehensible. Like the psalm we sung this morning, we stand underneath his wrath. His purposes and his regard for us remain hidden. But in Jesus, God has made his heart known. God is this man. And this man is God, and not for his own sake, but for us, all so that we might call him our Lord, all so that he might be our Lord. And so what does it mean to be a Lord? Luther has a nice answer. It is this, he says, He has redeemed me from sin, from the devil, from death, and from all evil. For before I did not have a Lord or king, 
but was captive under the devil's power, condemned to death, stuck in sin and blindness. And so what did he do as our Lord? What did it cost? What was the risk? The words of the creed that follow this first phrase tell us, You know, every leader, every king, every lord, when he is making war, will count the cost. And if it's too great, he will send out an envoy and make a treaty. Jesus counted the cost, the great, enormous cost. And it didn't cost silver, and it didn't cost gold, but his holy and precious blood. God's. And though satanic treaties were offered, he did all this in order to become my Lord. With outstretched hands, he rescued us. He pulls us out from the diabolical dominion of our enemies. He returns us to the Father as his children, alive and free. And he gives us hope in a future that has already begun in his glorious resurrection. I like saying the creed in Advent. Advent is a season of expectation and hope, of waiting for one who will come and save us. And so we pray this with maybe renewed meaning. Come, Lord Jesus. Amen.